All right, good morning, guys. Uh, let's grab our Bibles. We're going to Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab one off the floor in front of you. And if you're uh, using one of our Bibles, we're going to page 528. And we're going to be sitting in Proverbs 3 this morning, as well as in, in the next several weeks. I've decided to just sit in this chapter for a while and unpack it. So while you're flipping over there, I know some of you are like asking, who, who is this guy? Um, let me introduce myself to you. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor here at Trailhead. Um, and uh, I know that it's been a while. I took the month of July off from preaching to recharge and to work on some other stuff. Um, I had a wise friend tell me recently that no one will remember the vacations you skipped um, for ministry. No one will thank you for not spending time away, but they will benefit if you do. So I'm learning from that and, um, and had a great month. I'm very thankful to the elders of Trailhead and, of course, to Trailhead itself that I've had the great privilege of, of um, being able to step away for Aaron and, and Jake and Corey as they stepped in and, and preached um, over the course of, of this month. It was, it was a great month. I got to do some family vacation, get away with Lauren and, and go on a trip with my daughter to celebrate her graduation. I got to go on uh, an elder retreat, uh, spend time with them, a deacon retreat, spend time with our leadership team. I've had countless conversations just meeting with people. So, so it's been a great July. And, uh, and I'm ready to go. I hope you are too, okay? So we're going to uh, Proverbs chapter 3, and this morning we're going to be uh, reading verses 1 through 12. We're not going to cover all of that, but we're going to start by reading that. All right, starting in verse 1, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The word of the Lord. All right. Um, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs um, are an introduction really to the entire book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in this book, and, uh, and I preached the first sermon in the series. Uh, and, and, and back then, just at the beginning of July, I encouraged you guys to read a chapter of Proverbs every day over the course of the month. I said that if you did that, then by the end of the month, you would have finished the entire book. So congratulations to those of you who did that. You finished up last month. Um, do it again. Okay. If you didn't jump in the first time, jump in now. It's August 2nd. You're not far behind. Okay, now's the time to jump in, and I'm going to encourage you over the course of uh, August uh, to read one chapter of Proverbs every day. Okay, it doesn't take long, uh, and I guarantee you those Proverbs will have a way of, of worming their way into your thinking and into your brain and influencing you and, and, um, and, and being a blessing to you. So I encourage you to do that, okay? You're only two Proverbs behind, and I've already read half of tomorrow's to you, so you're good, okay? Um, so Solomon wrote most of the book of Proverbs, 
uh, and he seems to have written chapters one through nine specifically as an introduction, and he, and he addresses those chapters specifically to his son. Um, as a father, he's basically saying, look, I got, I got some wise stuff for you. Right? I've gone ahead of you and I've made some mistakes and God has shown me some things and I want you to be blessed. And, and so I'm going to unpack this stuff for you, right? So today um, we're going to be looking specifically at uh, Proverbs 3 and we're only going to focus this morning on, on the first four verses. But I want you to see in these first four verses what Solomon lays out in front of his son, right? Take a look at verse 1. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Listen to what's being laid out in front of him here. Length of days, right? It, it, it will actually help you live a, a long life, right? Now, a long life in and of itself is not an incredible blessing, right? There are a long people who live very long, very miserable lives. It happens. You, you probably know people like that right? They just compound um, bad choices on misfortune and suffering, right? A long life is not in and of itself a great blessing, but notice what, what he says here. He says, length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. In other words, he's saying, look, I, I, this isn't just going to give you a, a long life. It's going to give you the kind of life that you're going to enjoy having. Right, the principles that I'm laying out for you will give you peace. Right? And here he's not simply talking about a lack of, of conflict, not just about a, an inner tranquility. He's talking about a wholeness, a balance, a health that comes with, with not being in conflict with life, but in harmony with life. Right? That, that's, a, that's a huge promise right? Now take a look at verses three and four. He goes on and he says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. I mean, it only gets better. A long life filled with that harmony that comes with, with being in, in accord with life. But beyond that, you will find success. You will find favor with both God and man. What he's saying is, look, son, I'm going to give you the secret to a successful life. Do you want to succeed? Do you want to be the kind of person that at the end of your life can look back and say, that was success? The kind of life where you are growing in favor with God and with man. He's saying this is how. So he's looking at his son, like all good parents will, and, and, and he's saying to his son, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of like a fool, right? Every good parent has that conversation with their child, right? You're kind of like a fool, but I don't want you to be a fool, right? A fool doesn't know anything. A fool is ignorant of what they don't know, but I don't want you to be a fool. I want you to be simple because the difference between a fool and someone who's simple is humility, Right? A fool doesn't know what they don't know, but they don't care. They are wise in their own eyes. They, they will set their own path. They will make their own decisions. They take their short-term success as a sign of long-term wisdom. Right? They make bad choices, but they don't get caught. They do the things they're not supposed to do, and somehow it advances them in the short term, and they take that as a sign for long-term success. And they say, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you don't have wisdom. I do. This brought me pleasure. These choices made me happy. 
but they don't see the end of their own story. A fool always ends up in the same place. That's a wreck. He's saying, don't be the fool. Be simple. You don't know what you don't know. So submit yourself to wisdom. Submit yourself to, um, to what can give you direction. Be humble enough to admit and submit. If we want to be successful in living life, we need to submit to the God who created life. That's the bottom line. If we want to be successful in living life, we need to submit to the God who created life. But that's a whole lot harder to do than it is to say, isn't it? September 27th, 1986, the United Way of Cleveland, Ohio, set out to raise a bunch of money by breaking the world record for the most balloons released at once. It was this huge spectacle that was going to be this city-wide party and a fundraiser for um, the United Way. And so what they did is they, they had kids out there selling balloons. You could get two balloons for a dollar, right? And, th- and they ended up selling almost 1.5 million balloons, like one and a half million balloons, Okay, and so the city had to 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 plan this for months. They had to have this this special enclosure built in the heart of the city, right? They they contracted this special country company to to build this net that would hold all of these balloons, right? Thousands of people turned out. The press was on hand. It was an incredible spectacle. There was a rainstorm coming in that day, and so they decided to release the balloons a little early to beat the rain. So at 10 till 2, 1.5 million balloons were released above downtown Cleveland. It was like a balloon explosion. Seriously, they engulfed the tower at the heart of the city. People oohed and awed. It was like a balloon bomb, enough balloons to block out the sun. It seemed like a great idea. Disney had released... 1.2 million balloons just the year before at their 30th anniversary. They had set a world record when they did so. Nobody uh, but a few crackpot environmentalists made any noise about it. Disney was like, they all go north. It's the Mojave Desert. The environmentalists were like, that's still latex, right? Still landing somewhere. Something's going to eat it. Disney's like, ah, it's all natural. It's biodegradable. It'll disappear. And really, nobody made any fuss. There were no problems. They released these balloons. It was a great celebration. What could go wrong? Well, the problem is what goes up has to come down. They just hoped these balloons would find 1.5 million different places to come down. But they didn't. They hit the cold front that was coming in. And they ended up coming right back down on the city. (laughs) They ended up clogging the streets. There were um, accidents and traffic jams Um, the police were getting um, phone calls, literally. People reporting that they were engulfed in a slow-motion blizzard of multicolored orbs. (laughs) They couldn't navigate the city. The airport had to be shut down. One of the the lanes of the airport had to be shut down um, for an hour and a half because the balloons clogged the, the runway. The Coast Guard, tragically, the Coast Guard was attempting a helicopter rescue of two fishermen. They could actually see the boat, but they couldn't get to it because, as they said, it was an asteroid field of balloons. 
the two men were found dead the next day. It seems like a great idea, right? It really, it seemed like a great idea. It was going to raise a bunch of money. It was going to get a bunch of attention. And it was a great idea until it wasn't. You ever had one of those? Seriously, you ever had one of those? It was, it was a great idea that seemed awesome. You're like, I mean, what could go wrong? Until it did. And then you're like, oh, that's what could go wrong, right? Ever one of those moments where you're like, if I had, ever, if I had just known what was going to happen, I would have done that differently. Come on, I'm not the only one, Right? The, the organizers of this balloon thing were not the only like, that's us, right? That's us, sometimes on a small scale, sometimes on an epic scale. The city had made a contract with the United Way. The United Way had made a contract with a consultant. The consultant had made a contract with an idea. And everybody who makes a contract expects a payoff, right? Right? Everybody who makes a contract expects a payoff. And all the way down to the consultant who, who had this brilliant idea and executed it without flaw and was like, I expect a payout from this contract. And then it didn't pay. In fact, it backfired. See, nobody wants to set out to be that guy. Nobody, nobody wants to be that failure. Nobody, nobody wants to get to the end of their life and say, man, I wish I could go back and do it all differently. Solomon doesn't want his son to walk that path. So what Solomon is saying to his son is, look, man, there are, there are ways to live your life. There are ways to make choices that lead to life and the fullness of life and the blessing of life. And so we, we have these great promises laid out in front of us, right? Long life, increasing peace of verse two, success and favor with God and man of, in verse four. And the bottom line is you can fill in the blanks here, but this is in the end what I believe all of us are chasing. Whether you're, you're chasing it through your work or you're chasing it through romantic relationships or you're chasing it through creative endeavors, what you're looking for ultimately is peace, that balance and harmony in the fullness of life, and favor, increased love and increased security and increased joy in relationship with God and man. You want this. And if you want this, you need to take a look at verses one and three because that's how we get there. Take a look at verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. All right, you want long life of blessing, success, and peace? The first requirement is, Solomon says, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Now, now Solomon's not talking about his house rules here. You know, he's not saying, don't forget I told you not to leave dishes on the counter, right? Don't forget I told you to pick up your laundry. Don't forget you're supposed to mow the grass on Tuesdays. He's not talking about his house rules here. What, he, what he's talking about are the, the rules that flow from the scripture, the Bible. What he's saying is, is I've had a lifetime of reflecting on the Word of God. I've had a lifetime of sitting in the Torah, the law of the Old Testament, and, and, and God's revealed will. And I've had a lifetime of, of actually navigating difficult choices. And that has enlightened me and given me some wisdom. 
right? And we would say that, of course, the Spirit of God was actually working through that process and helping Solomon uh, actually collect a body of wisdom that would help unpack the principles of the Word of God, right? So he's saying, you need to keep this stuff close to you. Don't, Don't forget this stuff. And of course, what he means by don't forget is a lot more than keep it in your memory banks. What he's saying is, obey it. Implement it in your life. Don't don't just know it. Do it. Align your life choices with this wisdom. Submit your will to these commands. Now, as a parent, I'm fairly confident this conversation went over really well. Right? I don't know too many young guys that love their dad coming to them and saying, hey, you want a good life? Submit yourself to what I'm saying. Right? Every parent, one time or another, ends up having this conversation. Maybe we're not that blunt, maybe we are, but it usually goes over about the same way, right? Because kids don't like to be told what to do. Kids don't like to think that the parents have more wisdom than they do. Your kids don't think that about you, and you didn't think that about your parents, right? <laughs> See, it's not just kids, it's all of us. Now, some of us gotten a little bit better at hiding it than others, but if you admit it, the bottom line is you don't like to submit, You don't like to submit your will to God. You don't like to submit your will to anyone. You don't mind advice. You don't mind help. You don't mind someone coming alongside you, but you don't like someone over you. We don't like to submit. We like to be the boss. Hmm. See, there's the rub. How are we supposed to to decide to take these commandments to heart when our hearts are so opposed to submitting? How are we supposed to do this, you guys? Right? Solomon's like, hey, take my commands to heart. Submit yourself to these things. Uh, Let them rule your life. And the problem is our hearts just go no. Right? The problem, if we're honest, isn't that we lack wisdom. It's that we don't like wisdom. (laughs) Right? It's not that we don't know the wise thing. It's that in the moment, we don't want to do the wise thing. We don't want to submit our choices. We don't want to have someone else be our boss. We want to make the decisions that ultimately make us feel good in the moment. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. It's a very ominous proverb. There are quite a few of those. Uh, the Proverbs tend to put things in black and white and, and uh, make the contrast very clear. But this is a consistent theme in the book, right? That there are kind of two ways to do life, the fool's way and, and the wise way. And the fool's way ends up in one place and the, the wise way um, ends up in another, right? The wise way and the way that feels good in the moment. Now, let's be honest, you guys. Let's be honest. I mean, just think about this for a sec. If we're confronted with a choice, and over here I've got the wise choice, and over here I've got the choice that feels good, and I'm looking at the consequences, and from my perspective, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, what do I pick? I think most of us pick what feels good, right? (laughs) Got the wise choice. And I got the choice that feels good. 
and there aren't any consequences. I'm going with what feels good. I'm thinking you probably are too. Because short-term pleasure outweighs long-term wisdom. Now here's the thing, you guys. There's something much deeper going on here than pleasure. This isn't just about pleasure. It's about authority. See, the verse doesn't say there's a way that feels good to man. Right? It says there's a way that seems right to man. Now, it probably feels good for a lot of reasons, right? When, 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 you, when, you, when you cheat at work and you fudge the numbers or you, you take some credit or whatever and you end up getting a bonus as a result, that feels good, right? When that woman you were flirting with, because things are getting a little rough at home, starts inviting you to more than just flirtation, that feels good. When that guy that, that you can't stand at work is slandered and you know it, they're being misrepresented and, and, and being lied about and you know it, but you don't say anything about it. You just let it happen. That feels good. Maybe you even get ahead of it as a result of it, right? Maybe because of they've been disadvantaged, lied about, slandered, you get ahead. Those things feel good, but in the moment, they also seem right. See, the story we tell ourselves in that moment when, when, when we get that bonus is, you know, I deserve that money. Maybe I didn't get it honestly, but I deserved it, right? I deserve to be loved like that. I deserve it. I, I, I deserve this promotion more than she does. So, so maybe the way I got it was because she was slandered, but I deserved it more than she did anyway. See, in the moment, these choices not only feel good, they seem right. Thomas Cranmer uh, wrote a lot, but I love this quote. He said, what the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies. What the heart loves... The mind chooses, or excuse me, the will chooses and the mind justifies. In other words, I want it. That's the root. That's the beginning. There's joy. There's promised pleasure. I want it, so I choose it. And then I tell myself a story that makes it a matter of justice. I deserve it. I want it. I choose it. And the reality is I deserve it. And I can tell you why. And I tell myself why all the time. So the real problem we face, you guys, isn't just having wisdom. It's having the desire to follow it. The real issue isn't having wisdom. The real issue is we have hearts that don't like it. You know, that's why every moralistic solution to the problems of life falls short. And I want to mention this because this is often how the Proverbs are taught. People come to the Proverbs and, and, and they basically teach it as a contract. If you do this, you'll get this, right? If you do X, Y, then you will get Z, right? It's the just do it approach to wise living, right? Do this and get this. And people are like, this is bad and this is good. So go do the right thing. And this is what you'll get, right? 
this is wrong and this is right. So just take the next right step. It's a very moralistic, contractual approach that basically says, if I do the right thing, I will get the right thing. It's a very short-sighted way of not only teaching the Proverbs, but doing life. What ends up happening is if you do it and you get what you think was promised to you, the result is not gratitude and humility, but pride. If you do it and don't get what you think was promised to you, you're, you're covered with shame and you feel rejected. You feel like God doesn't love you, right? <laughs> Neither one of those, by the way, actually change your heart. Do you see what I'm saying? Like the end result there is, is that your heart is still motivated by selfish motives. You're still pursuing what feels good. You're just doing it in a moralistic way. You're trying to put God on the end of the hook where you can basically say, I can manipulate God. And when you can't, you feel robbed, cheated, and unloved. You're telling your heart, a heart that is sinful and steeped in rebellion against God, stop it. That's not a successful strategy. That's like telling water to stop being wet. It doesn't work. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. See, we've all tried the just do it approach to life, right? I need to lose some weight. I need to get rid of a behavior. I need to become more productive. I need to, and, and I need a job. I need, I need, I need a relationship. I need a, I need a, and so we do the just do it approach, right? I'll just do the right thing. So I will get the right thing. How'd that work for you? Because I'm pretty sure it worked for you the same way it worked for me. It didn't. It didn't. You find temporary success, which fills you with pride, or you, you end up with failure and you're covered with shame. That is not the path to a long life filled with peace and balance. That is not how we grow in favor with God and man. That's why it's so important that we get verse 3. Verse 1 said, submit your choices to God. Don't be your own authority. Let the God who created life tell you how to live life, right? It's a pretty reasonable thing, even if it's also impossible for us to do on our own, which is why we need to get verse 3. Verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. See, verse 1 tells us what to do. Verse 3 tells us how. And the key is in those two words, steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love is the translation of a single Hebrew word, chesed. And chesed is a love that is not based in the, in the emotions, but in the will. It is a steadfast, unmoving love. It is a covenant love, not a contract love. Do you get the difference? See, contracts basically come to the table and say, I do X, Y, and I get Z. Right? And that's how we approach most of our human relationships, and we often think that's how God approaches us. Right? We go into this contract with God, and I say, okay, God, I'll believe in you, and I'll follow you, and as a result, this is what I'm going to get from you. And subtly implied in that is, I think, as long as, as, as I do the right things, you'll love me. And when I stop doing the right things, you'll, you'll love me less. Right? It's a contract love. This is not a contract love. It's a covenant love. In other words, it's a love that's based on a choice, not a provocation. God doesn't look at us and say, oh, I find you beautiful right now, therefore I love you. 
God says, I choose to love you, and in my love for you, I will make you beautiful. It is a covenant love in which God says, I will choose to love you even though you are unlovable. Even though you have a heart that is bent on rebellion, even though you have a heart that will not submit to me or honor me or worship me or love me, I will love you. That is a covenant love, not a contract love. It's a love based on the one who loves, not on the one who receives it. And see, faithfulness flows from that kind of love. In the same way water flows from a spring, right? Has said that that kind of uh, covenant love leads to faithfulness. An unwavering commitment to the good of the one who is loved. Now, if we look at this verse, it's, it's a little puzzling. In some ways, you're, you're going to end up asking, how is this better than verse 1? Because what, what we see here is Solomon is, is putting kind of another impossible weight on his son. He's telling his son to keep steadfast love and faithfulness for God. Can you make your God, I mean, your heart have that kind of love for God? Can, can you make your heart have covenant love for God? And to be unwaveringly faithful to God? Absolutely not. That's the heart of our problem. But see, the Jewish readers, when they read this, would have immediately seen something that I think is missed on us. This phrase is loaded with meaning. That, 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 that combination of steadfast love and, and faithfulness. Those two words are loaded in Scripture because they're actually the two words that God uses to describe himself in Exodus 34 when he's revealing himself to Moses, right? He's revealing himself to Moses and and he's basically saying, look, I am God. And and this is what he says. And I'm not going to have you turn there. I just want you to listen. He says, the Lord passed before him, that is Moses, and proclaimed, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. See, what Solomon is doing is, is two things. He's saying, you need to love God because God first loved you. You need to remind yourself that God has, has said steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and that will enable you and change you so that you can grow in your love for God. See, Solomon isn't just telling us what to do. He's telling us how to do it. He's first drawing our minds to God's promise and God's character. And then out of that place, he's calling us to respond to that promise. The God of the universe, the one who designed life and made all the rules of life, is the God who absolutely, unwaveringly is committed to you. God has, has said for you covenant love, unwavering faithfulness to you. And you guys, I don't want you to think of this in terms of an, uh, like a dutiful-filled love. Like when we think of covenant love, like, okay, I'm committed to you. It's an act of the will, not an act of the emotions. It's rooted in my choice, not rooted in my response. We can think of that sometimes as a, a kind of a, a cold commitment, but this word has nothing of that connotation. Chesed speaks of a, a passionate, fiery, emotional 
God delights in you. Not in your potential, but in you. Not who you could be, but in who you are. God delights in you this very moment. He has said for you, and he is absolutely committed to your good. He is burning and passionate in his steadfast love for you. And as a result, he is absolutely committed to you. Whatever's going on, whatever's happening, listen to me, God is absolutely committed to your good. And he will be faithful to you. He is more committed to your ultimate good than you are yourself. How do we know this? Well, first of all, because God said, that's who I am. (laughs) In Exodus 34, he said, this is who I am. And then in Jesus, he showed us. When God became flesh, the perfect Son of God, the Holy One, took on flesh and lived the life we should have lived, and then died the death we deserve to die. The Holy One of God, who knew no sin, becoming sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How do we know this is the heart of God? Because God wears His heart on His sleeve. The Hesed love that drives his heart, the faithfulness that flows from it, took him to the cross. In the ultimate display of love and faithfulness. And then he invites us in the resurrection to a covenant relationship with him where we can be forgiven of our rebellious hearts. We can be forgiven of all the bad choices we've made. We can be forgiven for our blasphemous and traitorous thoughts even now. Where God basically says, I will not measure you by your record. I will measure you by Christ's. And I will bless you. It is an invitation back into the head love of God. I'm going to pause right here. If you are not a follower of Christ, this invitation is before you this morning. An invitation into new life, an invitation into um, transformed living, an invitation into forgiveness and a new future because Christ died and rose again for you. And if you are a believer this morning, listen to me. I'm going to invite you into new wonder at the love of God. To have your heart once again undone to not grow callous to this story that we hear so often, to not let our hearts shrivel once again and go in on themselves, focused on our situations and our suffering instead of our God. I invite you this morning to let your hearts be undone. His love for me isn't dependent on my ability to make myself lovable. The cross proves that. His love makes me lovable. And as I believe in him and learn to follow him, he changes me to be more like Jesus. And because his love isn't dependent on my making myself better, I can rest in the fact that he is, even when it doesn't seem like it's happening. You guys, as I sit in this, it works on me. See, he loves me first and he loves me intensely. And as I sit in that, it awakens my heart. 
in beautiful ways. And the more I come to delight in God's love, the more I come to delight in God's authority. The more I come to delight in God's love, the more the authority of God is an invitation instead of an onerous weight. Because I recognize the God who loves me is not setting up rules to keep me from the benefits of life, but to lead me to the fullness of life. I come to trust his hand. The more I come to delight in God's love, the more I come to love his authority. Look carefully at the end of our verses, you guys. He says uh, in verse three, let not the steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. There's an interesting word play here. Why bind them around your neck? In fact, this is unique. Um, often one of the, the metaphors used in the Old Testament to describe the people of God is hard-necked. Um, when, when we become rebellious and kind of set in our own ways, when we say, my will, way is wise, not yours, when we say, I know the path to blessing, not you, he calls us stiff-necked, right? Like we are just hardening ourselves against influence. We are hardening ourselves against um, the plying hands of God. And he says, look, bind the love of God around your neck. Let the love of God work on your will. You're having a hard time obeying. You're having a hard time submitting to God. You're having a hard time seeing that his commandments are good for your life. Let the love of God work on your will. Bind his will around your neck because his love will break your rebellion. Not in a harsh and ugly way, but in a beautiful and freeing way. Because as you come to be undone by his love, your neck will soften. Your will will soften. Your trust will grow. And you will come to see that God is not trying to keep you from life. God is not trying to keep you from blessing. He is trying to bring you into the fullness of all that he has for you. He says, write these things on the tablet of your heart. You can think of that in, in, in Coder's language, be like the, you know, the core kernel that ultimately drives the software, right? Uh, the default mode. When everything goes and you get the blue screen, you hit reset and it comes back up, right? Write the love of God on the tablet of your heart because ultimately that is what drives everything else, Right? You're getting so focused on your behavior. I'm having a hard time with this sin. I'm having a hard time with this shortcoming. I'm having a hard time with this relationship. I'm having a hard time with, you know what? Stop focusing on the fruit and start focusing on the root. Let the love of God be written on the tablet of your heart. In other words, recognize there is something deeper than the behavior that needs to be addressed. You need to let the love of God soften your heart and in softening to change your behavior. Sit in this truth so that it becomes the single most defining truth about you. That God loves you. God is for you. God has covenant love and faithfulness with you. And that will become the single most important thing about you. That will become the single greatest thing that has happened to you. That will become the single most motivating thing that can change you. So what we're talking about is is a new way of of approaching life that shapes our experiences. To reject the contractual view of life 
and instead embrace a covenant view of life that allows us to see all things first through the love of God. It allows us to approach our circumstances through the love of God instead of the love of God through our circumstances. It allows us to see our life through God instead of our God through our life. Bottom line is God loves you and we need to sit in that until it fosters within us a renewed love for God. Now, over the course of, of the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about decision-making and, and, and money and, and suffering and um, dealing with conflict, the rest of the themes of, of chapter 3. But wisdom starts here. True wisdom starts in letting God's love change your heart so that it can free your desires. Because that's the only path to true change. Only then will you be able to move into the full blessings. So bottom line, if we want to be successful in living life, we need to learn to submit ourselves to the God who created life. And if we're going to submit ourselves to God, it means our hard hearts need to be softened. Our necks need to be broken in a beautiful way by God's love for us to the point where we awaken to God's love and start responding to God's love. And it's not just something we talk about and it's not just something we know, but it is something that drives us and shapes us and moves us. Because only love can change the desires of our heart and only love can free our wills to follow in blessing. You guys, we're gonna move into a time of response. I'm gonna put some questions up on the screen and and ask you to just pray. We're going to create some space to allow the Spirit of God to come in and and speak to you and invite you and confront you and whatever whatever He needs to do. We're going to move into a time of reflection and we'll share communion in a moment after that. But take a look at the reflection questions. Let's put that first one up. First of all, what behaviors or attitudes are you struggling to submit to God? Not are you, but which ones? (laughs) Uh, We're all struggling. Followers of Christ, we're all struggling. Which ones right now are the battlefield of your affections? Which ones are you just really having a hard time trusting God with? Which ones are you having a hard time seeing the blessing of God moving, right? Second question, how does it reflect an attempt to find success and fulfillment outside of God? What are you trying to find outside of God that only God can give? What need, what desire... Are you, are you ultimately seeking to have fulfilled outside of God that only God can give you? Third, how can God's steadfast love and faithfulness free your heart to trust and obey God? Are you going to trust this morning that your greatest problem has already been solved and your greatest blessing has already been given? Will you allow that to be the perspective through which you see everything else? Will you let yourself be deeply loved? even if you're not getting what you want to get? Even if your will is being frustrated right now? Will you trust the hand of the God who is shaping your will? Because there is a much greater blessing than getting what you want. There's a much greater blessing than ultimately writing the story of your own success. And that's letting the God of the universe love you abundantly and freely more than you could ask or hope. Let me pray for us.
We'll go into a time of response. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who is full of hesed, covenant love, steadfast love, unmoving, unwavering love. And out of that flows your faithfulness, your determination to bless. Father, our hearts are short on trust and full of pride. Our hearts pull back from your love. We don't trust it. Our hearts pull back from your commandments, from, from your rules, because, because we don't trust them. We'd rather trust ourselves. We are fools in need of grace. Father, help us not to be fools, but simple. Only by your grace can we move into that place of not knowing what to do or how to move forward. But instead of, of filling ourselves with pride, instead of trying to solve our own problems, instead of becoming full of bitterness and anger, instead of, of, of manipulating or choosing our own way, instead we simply trust you. Let us be people undone by your love, growing in our love for you. That's another way of simply saying, let us be a people who are growing in holiness, becoming more like Jesus. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.